Chapter 7, The Bear on the Bicycle Oh God, bear! Brad Treat's penultimate words were his cousin's only warning. The two men were on a mountain bike ride on the Green Gate Trail, just across Highway 2 from Corum, sandwiched between Glacier National Park and the Bob Marshall Wilderness Complex. Treat led, pedaling with competitive effort, about 60 feet ahead. He whizzed around a blind corner. Then came a thud, followed by an animal's roar of pain or surprise. Two seconds later, the cousin came around the same corner and saw a large grizzly bear standing over Treat's body. Treat called his cousin's name twice. His final words, which weren't included in the coroner's report, leaving the cousin unidentified. The second man stopped his bike about 30 feet from the crash, uncertain what to do. He described the bear as brownish-black, very big, with bristled-up fur. The bear focused on Treat's body, never looking at the companion. After about 30 seconds, the cousin decided he had no chance of pushing the bear off the scene, so he turned around and rode for help. When he could hear the highway, he dismounted and carried his bike through the brush to flag down a passing car. It took roughly an hour for him to reach a phone and call 911. It was June 29, 2016. The Interagency Grizzly Bear Committee Board of Review analyzed the impact scene in clinical detail. Treat's demise took just sweeps of a second hand. The investigators estimated he was pedaling about 25 miles per hour when he saw the grizzly. The tire tracks on the trail showed no sign of braking. Treat plowed into the bear so hard he made a horizontal bruise on his chest where he hit the handlebars. His biking shoes were clipped into the pedals, so his momentum flipped both him and his bike over the bear's body. Treat flew into the ground hard enough to break both wrists and shatter his right shoulder blade. The grizzly responded with its paws and claws, mauling Treat's head and shoulders and shattering his bike helmet. It also bit him, but the post-mortem reported only mouthing bites or test bites to see if the victim was still a threat. The bear didn't do anything else to Treat's body. Didn't move it, didn't cover it like a grizzly did with another man's remains in Yellowstone National Park, didn't do any of the things that bears do with food that they plan on caching to eat later. It vanished. Montana State Game Wardens set two culvert traps and a network of remote cameras to learn if the grizzly remained in the area. Over the next 48 hours, they got nothing. Except for one neighbor's report of seeing a large black grizzly bear near her driveway a mile and a half away from the incident, the suspect was never seen again. Which stands to reason, given what we know about that bear. And thanks to genetic analysis breakthroughs discussed previously, that's a surprisingly large amount. The crash left 12 samples of bear DNA on Treat's bike and body, mainly hair and saliva. Forensic analysis revealed the matching grizzly had been trapped in Glacier National Park's Camas Creek drainage in 2006. Because it was a male and the biologists were looking for females, they did not collar it, but only recorded its biometrics and let it go. At the time, it was estimated to be 8 to 10 years old and weighed 370 pounds. Its DNA signature showed up in the hair traces found in grizzly census efforts five more times around the Quorum vicinity over the years. 
but the bear itself stayed out of the logbooks. It didn't threaten livestock, it didn't cruise garbage dumps, it didn't challenge hunters for kills. It did get spotted occasionally, including a probable encounter just half an hour before it killed Treat. A Swan River Outfitters guide was leading a string of dudes on horseback about 800 yards away from the crash site when they saw a large brownish-black grizzly bear ahead of them. The grizzly charged to within six feet of the group before veering off, making noises and chomping its teeth. Between 1998 and 2011, DNA hair snares revealed at least six male and three female grizzly bears using an area within a three-mile radius of the crash site. Radio collar records showed another five males and five females traveling the same area. The grizzly bears like this live 18 to 20 years only by strict adherence to ursine self-discipline and by good fortune. The sheer number of temptations and threats bird feeders, freight trains, picnic baskets, five-lane freeways, hunting camps, and research labs packed into this southwest corner of Glacier National Park give a bear little chance of avoiding some kind of human interaction. Chris Servine had barely retired from his career-long post as Grizzly Recovery Coordinator for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service when he got asked to lead the Board of Review into Treat's death. It was Servine's eighth such post-mortem since he took the job of coordinator in 1981. He released his report on March 3, 2017. With something like mountain biking, the high speed and quiet nature of riding increases the probability of encounters with bears when you're coming around blind corners, Servine told me. In the case of Treat's collision, he said, Here's a bear that's 20 years old who's lived in a high-density human area his entire life. He's pretty skilled at staying away from trouble. We think he was just as surprised as Mr. Treat was. The two of them probably only had one or two seconds before they encountered one another. After the initial 48-hour search and trap deployment, state game wardens stopped trying to catch the suspect grizzly. They concluded the bear didn't threaten human safety, despite having just killed a human. U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service biologist Wayne Kaysworm had just replaced Servine as interim leader of the grizzly recovery effort. Treat's death crystallized one of his top tasks, getting people to agree on how much safety they all must give up to coexist with bears. They're wild animals and we are not controlling them, Kaysworm said. What we attempt to do is provide information so people can make reasoned judgments about what is safe activity or not safe activity. We're trying to get some conversation going to get people thinking about what is going on out there in the woods. To deal with objective dangers in the outdoors, people already self-limit their recreation in many ways. Boaters avoid rivers during spring runoff or accept the consequences of lost gear, wrecked boats, and possible death. Golfers voluntarily leave the links when a thunderstorm brings lightning over their metal clubs and their spike shoes. Snowmobilers and backcountry skiers check avalanche forecasts and weigh the risks of the day's adventure. We're trying to get folks to recognize and take on responsibility for their own safety when they walk into known grizzly bear habitat, when grizzly bear habitat is taking over more and more of Montana, Caseworm told me. When a bear results in a human safety issue, or it's killing livestock repeatedly, we remove the bear. But if you're tooling around on your mountain bike and you bump into the bear and you're scared, 
that's not necessarily a reason to remove the bear.